Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Thursday, March 22nd, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, AMVETS Executive Director Joe Shinelli is going to join us in studio to go over several issues, including the Omnibus, the National Desert Storm Memorial, and everyone's favorite military-hating teacher finally being out of a job. Later, our own Matt Sainsing will be here to discuss his work regarding the medical marijuana issue. It is a hot-button topic with some strong opposition and even stronger support within the veteran community. Matt's going to give us an in-depth look at what he's found over the last several months as he's dug through the evidence and opinions surrounding it all. All of that and more on today's show, which begins, as per usual, with Jake Hughes marching into the studio. Yes, yes, people, thank you. I know you can't get enough of me. It's uh, I, I shall can try to contain my awesomeness today. They booed you. You're acting like they were cheering you. I mean, the audience, our, our massive in-studio audience, booed you to a man and woman. However, we're now going to pull a little WWE surprise because making his way down the runway is not AMVET's executive director, Joe Chanelli, but Marine Corps veteran Joe Chanelli. Oh, the, yeah, they love that one. There he comes. So Jake gets the booze. Hey, they were saying booerns. Boo, yeah. I was saying booerns. Joe made it in here early, I think maybe because of the weather. Uh, you decided to make sure that you were going to get here on time, and you got here, uh, well, way on time. You got here on time for the entire show. So is that what was actually behind the early showing of Joe Chanelli today? Absolutely. It's always better to be early than late. That's true. And uh, I, so yesterday was, uh, we weren't on the air. Anyone who listens regularly probably figured that out when, uh, well, when we weren't on the air. We had, I woke up to freezing rain, essentially, like, and a little bit of snow on the ground. And uh, my babysitter, uh, with my wife being out of town this week, the babysitter refuses to drive in any sort of inclement weather. So uh, was unable to make it in. We kind of knew that was coming. We talked about it on Tuesday. Um, and then, my son's school wasn't canceled. So I'm like, all right, I'll bring him over to school. I was doing work from home for connectingvets.com, connecting vets every day. Uh, even when it snows, we're connecting vets. So at home, I had some work to do. So I was like, great, I'll take him over to school and drop him off and, and have some time to get my stuff done. Here's the problem. I had told him the day before that he wasn't going to have school yesterday. So oh, he no. was not happy. I had to fight with him for like 45 minutes to get dressed had to you know, tell him, like, all right, well, I'm going to take video games away. I'm going to take your kids' TV shows away. I'm going to take all this stuff away. Uh, he didn't seem to care about that. He was like, I don't care. I'll just sit home and stare at the wall all day. Did not want to go to school. Finally goes there and is happy to get to school. Drop him off a little bit later than normal, but most of the parents were late because it was kind of you know, bad weather out there. Get home, and then I get a text message an hour later and a phone call from his school. Hey, we're closing down early because the weather's taking a turn for the worse. And then... We got like five inches of snow after you know, 9 a.m. essentially. So before 9 a.m., everything was fine and dandy. And then 
9.30, I get the call, hey, you got to come pick him up. And it was pretty bad. When I went to turn into his school's parking lot, uh, and I'm, I'm from the Northeast, I'm usually pretty good at driving in bad weather, although my vehicle is an all-wheel drive or anything. I took the turn pretty slowly, but not slow enough. I slid sideways into the curb, just bonk, felt one of those things. And I went in there and then spent the rest of the day trying to get my work done and trying to wrangle a five-year-old who was now, again, happy to be home. He was happy once he got to school, but all that stuff. And uh, the weather continues. Schools are shut down in my county again today. I don't know why, because I got on the roads this morning and everything was fine. They were barely damp, let alone icy or wet. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing is that yesterday it was a perfect winter wonderland for a couple hours and then spring said, hey, we're still here and everything got wet and moist and yeah. blah. Well, everything was fine on the roads this morning when I was driving in and at, you know, 530 or whatever when I'm driving in, it was already 36 degrees. I didn't do all that well in science class, but I know that if it's above 32, you don't have to worry about ice or anything like that on the roads. Just a, uh, it was a nightmare yesterday. It was a nightmare. And then last night I get a call waking me up after I'm uh, right laying down in bed, just about fall asleep. Get the phone call from my wife that the babysitter didn't know if she'd be able to make it this morning. Like, why not? We could add an extra guest on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we almost did. Uh, she was able to make it over there, thankfully. But we almost had uh, a five-year-old who would have had, uh, oh, I'm sure, plenty of fun stuff to say. Um, I, no, I would have just stuck him in front of my phone and put Netflix on it or something like that. But yeah, just not a uh, not a good weather day for much of the East Coast. Uh, those of you out on the West Coast, we hate you and we hate your beautiful weather. All yes. you people out in San Diego and places like that. Of course, Joe is from up in uh, South Canada, New York, and up there, I mean, this kind of snow is basically a, a summer day. This is like Fourth of July weather for you people. And believe it or not, it's beautiful up there. The last few days been yeah. sunny. It's uh, sunny, about fifteen degrees. But you know, enjoy it. It's one of your five days a year that you get where it's sunny up there. I left Fort Drum a couple. Uh, I don't know. Feels feels like a few hours ago. But yeah, <laughs> drove down here uh, uh, through Pennsylvania and. At down here, where's all the snow? Why, why was my office closed yesterday? Yeah. Well, and that was the thing. Part of the reason we decided ahead of time not to have the show yesterday is because, uh, you know, the American Legion said, hey, our guests that we're bringing in, they're, they're assuming that their office is going to be closed. Ours may be closed. So that they, basically yesterday was a wash. Even if we had come in, we wouldn't have had any guests. None of our guests were going to be able to make it. So it would have just been an hour and a half of me and Jake talking about whatever. And, and nobody really wants to hear. Yeah, that. we're not we're not we're not entertaining enough for an entire half hour and a half no some would argue not for any amount of time beyond what we've already done right now when you were driving from fort drum or climbing to glory from fort drum as of course it's home to the 10th mountain division they were the parent Ooh, uh, command in rc north when i was up there uh always trying to gather control of the navy public affairs team that i worked for and the germans told them no so that was good because you know I, don't, I was in the navy i don't need the army telling me what to do uh, so when you were driving from there down to here, did you by any chance pass through a town in California where they've been in the news recently because a teacher uh, had some not so nice things to say about the military? No, I wish I would have loved to have been in that board of education meeting <laughs> uh, south of Los Angeles on Tuesday evening, Tuesday afternoon. Um, they fired our our favorite teacher, Gregory Salcedo yeah. of Pico Rivera, California's El Rancho High School. The El Rancho Unified School District on Tuesday night, we didn't have a show yesterday, so we couldn't uh, talk about this, fired him after a unanimous vote saying, hey, 
This is not cool. He's, of course, the one that called the military the lowest of the low. Uh, also threw some casual racism into his comments there. Uh, referred to the Vietnam War as a bunch of people uh, three feet tall throwing rice at our soldiers and they couldn't win. Yeah, that's what Vietnam was. You dink. <laughs> what, are we, what are we talking about here? Uh, Salcedo has been fired. Unanimous vote from the school board. Uh, a school board which I believe he had once overseen as a member of the city council in Pico Rivera and former mayor of Pico Rivera. So this is someone who is elected to office, had previous issues where he allegedly assaulted one student, bullied other ones. This one was caught on video by a young man who plans to go into the Marine Corps, had uh, many of his family members had served in, and were, or were currently serving in the military uh, and wore his Marine Corps sweatshirt to school, much like the United States Marine Corps hoodie that Joe Chanelli, you are marined out today. I mean, uh, people, I almost want to walk up to you and just be like, so uh, were you in the Marine Corps? Because we've got the Semper Fi hat with the Eagle Globe and Anchor, the USMC sweatshirt. Uh, he's got his favorite Paris Island thong on under his jeans. He showed us that earlier. So tell us, Joe, what was it like being in the Air Force? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? what Lackland Air Force Base, was that really tough uh, basic training for you out there? My wife actually was in the Air Force. I, I can't make uh, jokes. <laughs> you can. You're just going to pay for them. So Salcedo, his rant was on January 26th. Uh, you know, his his my favorite quote from the whole thing. There were so many great quotes, but from him, they're not like high-level thinkers. They're not ap- academic people. They're not intellectual people. They're the freaking lowest of our low. I don't understand why we let the military guys come over here and recruit you at school. We don't let pimps come into the school. Uh, wow. Okay. So basically, you know, comparing the members of our military and of recruiters to pimps. Yeah, sex traffickers. That's what the military is, totally. is, is most like. And I love the fact that he would say, you know, they're not academic people. They're not intellectual people. They're the they're the the lowest of our low. Oh, wow. What an intellectual way to state that, you jerk. I mean, this was one where he didn't seem to have the backing of anyone outside of a few students from the school. There were kids who were former, like one was a former graduate of the school who was trying to gather people to go beat up the kid who put in the, uh, the who, who shot the video, the kid who wore the Marine Corps sweatshirt, saying, oh, he's the best teacher I've ever had. All right, well, if you're trying to organize a posse to go beat up a 16-year-old because he uh, got your favorite teacher in trouble, maybe your favorite teacher is not that great of a guy if he was an influence on you. So I remember seeing that, and I remember seeing the kid tweet about it and getting some responses from uh, quite a few veterans and quite a few members of VSOs who were like, oh, you want to go and jump this kid? Eh, Maybe we'll show up. Let us know when you're going to do that, and we'll uh, maybe we'll make it a fair fight. Students, I even have... Not even Marine yet, and they already have to have a whole gang to come get them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just someone who's <laughs> thinking about joining the Marine Corps. You better have 20, 30 people coming to get them, right, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I'm on the serious side of this. There is a very serious side of this. Uh, you know, As a nation, we're having a lot of trouble finding people who are eligible for the military yep. uh, because of physical issues, because of mental health issues, because of criminal issues. And then you start de- eroding that even more by, by these – Terrible things being said in the classroom to very impressionable youth are, are the future of our military. Yep. So we have an Americanism program really focusing on this a lot because we see a path toward having to have compulsory service. And we yep. do not want that. We want to maintain an all-volunteer military. And if we have our uh, the people who are most influential over our, over our children other than 
us, our parents ourselves, uh, teachers would be the number two there. Yeah. If they're in there telling them that the military is for the people who are not smart or do not have other options, it's going to be a, a terrible future for us. And it's not one that I think uh, this jerk yeah. <laughs> can really envision at this point. Yeah, and unfortunately, we can't use the language that we'd like to use and that we're using off-air to discuss Mr. Salcedo. Uh, As far as us not being, you know, intellectual academic people, I mean, I graduated with honors from a top university in New York. Uh, I'd be more than happy to debate this guy, and I think I might come out on top. I think that may be the case. Uh, I don't know. I can't say for sure. (laughs) Just kidding. Yes, I can. I'll wrestle him. him And Joe will wrestle him. And Jake, (laughs) what will you do to him? I would mock him mercilessly with my unrelenting wit. Unrelenting wit. That's the best kind of wit to have. If it relents, your wit's just not quite good enough. Here's an interesting story of technology. Military Times is reporting that the U.S. Army, of all people, has successfully demoed a laser weapon on a striker armored personnel carrier in Europe. So this is called the Mehel, M-E-H-E-L, uh, equipped striker shot small UAVs out of the sky using a five kilowatt fiber laser that happened at Grafenbeer training area in Germany. Are we moving towards the actual future that we were promised when we were kids, Joe and Jake? When we were kids, we were told we would have flying cars long before the year 2000. Every movie I saw about the future lied to me. It's almost 2020 and we're still not flying around on hoverboards. What's going on with that nonsense? When you hear about laser weapons, how, what kind of feeling do you get on that? I mean, Jake, you were actually a tanker in the Army, so you were inside these giant metal vehicles that shoot you know, traditional weapons out there. Do you think of uh, lasers as a possibility to replace that, and do you think that's a good way to go? Not really. I see this as more of a novelty, as in a look how technologically advanced we are. But when it comes to actual combat, I don't think anything's going to mess with traditional munitions. I think the one thing that that people say about lasers is that they can be a little bit more accurate than like a high explosive shell being fired from a tank, which can cause collateral damage that you don't intend. You hope that in a war zone, there's not going to be too much that you would worry about uh, damaging. But unfortunately, uh, particularly with the enemies that we fight these days, they like to do things like set up shop inside of schools and apartment buildings and uh, other places where civilians will be. I would counter that by saying I could hit the mark on a, a tank size t- on a truck size target at 2,000 meters at gunnery. Yeah. So the tanks are pretty accurate. And as far as what we're talking about here, the thing you got to remember is lasers are actually very inefficient when it comes to their energy output. So I can see this as like an anti-UAV thing. I can understand that. But to think that eventually we're going to have laser rifles and things like that, that's a bit of a pipe dream. I think that laser rifles uh, sound like a great idea. Well, they sound like a great idea, too. How efficient they are. What sound will they make? If anything, that's the other thing that movies lied to us about. You're used to hearing a zap or a or whatever for your laser rifles. They're going to be silent if they fire. They're not going to make any noise, which could be a benefit. I mean, that's one of the things when it comes to combat engagements, the sound. It gives people an idea of where the fire is coming from, where you are. If we start shooting lasers at like the Taliban or whoever, they're not going to have any idea where we're coming from. They're just going to see guys with holes burnt into their chests, put put on fire by the good infantry of the United States Army and Marine Corps. And boy, that, that could be something interesting. Well, then you also got to think about these are weapons that that can be disrupted by clouds. 
So, like, you look mm. at, like, uh, on Navy ships. Or a mirror. <laughs> exactly. On on Navy ships, they, we have laser technology like this, but what do they use? They use miniguns to shoot down missiles and stuff, right? The yeah. phalanx? Yeah, the close-in weapon system, the phalanx. The Sea Whiz, as it's called, uh, which is uh, somewhat effective. I mean, it depends on how many targets there are coming in. If you're, if you're attacking a Navy ship with, like, one cruise missile, yeah, they're probably going to be able to take it down. If there's seven or eight of them heading at the same ship, might be an issue. But, yeah, it's... it's They've begun testing things like rail guns and lasers and things like that. We'll see how effective they are. Um, The Army, though, apparently thinking that this could be useful when it comes to UAVs, which is a growing aspect of battle, of course. I mean, UAVs used to not be a thing just, what, 15, 20 years ago. We were barely using them or we were using them for reconnaissance purposes. Now we have people like ISIS using essentially the drones that you buy at like Radio Shack, showing my age there, how many Radio Shacks are left? <laughs> Hell, how many Toys R Uses are left? Their big sale uh, starts rip. today, by the way. Yeah, rip. If you're a, uh, a video game fan or anything like that, you may want to check out your local Toys R Us because they are going to have massive price cuts on just about anything for the next couple of months while they prepare to go out of business. But ISIS was using these these drones, these remote-controlled drones, and basically putting uh, small explosives on them with a very simple release mechanism, flying them over the uh, Iraqi and Syrian military and dropping them onto... I mean, they were using UAV technology, not as fancy as ours, but certainly effective to some extent and certainly uh scary if you're one of the people on the ground but lasers could be a uh, a valid it may not be a valid anti-personnel weapon but an anti-vehicle an anti-uav weapon i could see where it could serve a purpose yeah i I mean yeah with uavs they have usually very thin armor but if you're talking about like trucks and tanks no because we have tanks that can stand up to a you know uh depleted uranium shell yeah so it just hit it with the laser for a long period of time in the tank. Yeah, just inside don't like, move. Boy, it's getting, getting kind of warm in here, isn't yeah. it? And then eventually, like, whoo, it's getting really hot in here. What's going on in there? There's also uh, some news that uh, there's a new night vision goggle that's going to merge sighting, shooting, battlefield awareness. It's almost like a heads-up display combined with the NVGs, uh, which is great. See, now, when I was in Afghanistan, I didn't have night vision goggles. They didn't give me those. And uh, I would go outside the wire sometimes we'd be out there at night i remember being in a place called russian hill which was a mound of mud in the middle of nowhere that the german army uh, essentially just used as a, a watch out point to keep watch over a valley we went there right around christmas 2010 and on our way down to the black hawk that we were going to fly out and go to uh, our next stop there we were flying around with the general who was in command of rc north we had to walk down these slippery metal or slippery metal slippery mud embankments basically all of the general's close protection team had night vision goggles. I did not. Guess who took one wrong step and ended up like a, like a turtle down in a mud puddle basically for a couple <laughs> seconds and had to be silent because we didn't know what was around us. It's pitch black out. Yeah, I would have appreciated some of those night vision goggles that night. I was quite filthy. But other than that, uh, you know, there there's a lot of technological advances going on in the military. But one thing that still remains the way it's always been is getting to and from your new duty stations overseas. We don't have transporters yet or anything like that, teleporters that are able to zap us over there. So when I moved to Guam, for example, I flew on United Airlines. It's the only U.S. airline that flies into Guam. 
Well, there's a little bit of a problem right now because United Airlines, the airline that we use to fly military families who are going to be stationed at Guam, either at the Naval Station or at Anderson Air Force Base, they've announced that they are no longer transporting pets for an indiscriminate period of time. And the reason for that is United had like three different incidents involving pets being either lost, sent the wrong place, or unfortunately died while being transported uh, on United Airlines planes. Military family pets temporarily could be stranded on Guam is essentially what the story here is. And that's Joe Chanelli and his family go over to be stationed at uh, Naval Station Guam to get ready to figure out if uh, the Marines coming from Okinawa would, in fact, tip over the island, as Congressman Hank Johnson (laughs) once worried. And you bring little Snuggles, your pet dog, and you're there for a couple years, and it's time for you to, to either move there or head home from Guam, and now you can't bring your dog. I think heading home is the bigger issue. If you've been stationed in Guam and you're getting ready to PCS in the next couple of weeks, little Fido may not be able to join you. I mean, that's kind of a pain in the butt, isn't it, Joe? I think so. I think this is a large dogs is what they're talking about here in particular uh, you can sneak some of the other ones on the, the carry-on still with, with their, uh, and I don't really mean sneak. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, you tried to <laughs> smuggle in it. I'm sorry, sir. What Were you just barking at me? Uh, yes. Yes, of, I was. Uh, I can think of worse places to be stuck than Guam or have your pets stuck there. Eh, but. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of worse places to be stuck than <laughs> Guam, having lived there for a year, year plus. But it's, uh, it's. yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the family pets are, are a big part of families. My wife... If our house was burning and the dog was in there, she would go inside and risk her life to get that dog. He is a member of our family, and her and this dog have such a bizarre connection where it's just like, he he likes me. He loves her. He just will not leave her side whenever she's home. So it's it's a big issue. And yeah, it's the ones that are going to be shipped inside of the planes, in cargo, basically. If you have one of those ridiculous little rat dogs that you can put in your pocketbook or whatever, (laughs) I I think you're fine. I think you can bring those on board there. The issue was with the shipping in the cargo of the plane of dogs, but still an issue for any family that has, you know, a dog over, you know, carrying weight, basically, where you have to put it there. Not one of those things that you want your kids having to think like, is is Snuggles going to have to stay in Guam? (laughs) And it's more than just the family pets, too, because a lot of these animals now serve as, as comfort animals, service, yeah. service animals. Yep. I mean, that's a, it's a very real thing. There's a lot of research out there that shows this is really helping. Uh, and when we have a military that's been at war for 15 years in Iraq and you know a couple more in Afghanistan. And 17 in Afghanistan, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a big issue and it's a temporary one. United is basically, it's like a safety stand down. Essentially United's trying to figure out exactly how to go about shipping dogs without sending them to the wrong place or killing them. I mean, it's it's upsetting, but that's the issue that's happening there. And again, this, it's not like you can just say, oh, well, we'll fly everybody out to Guam on Delta. No, you won't. United's the only U S air carrier that goes there. Now, there is that company, and what are they called? You know what? I think there's a Patriot Express. That's Air Mobility Command's contracted service, basically. It's a commercial airlines are contracted by the uh, Department of Defense's Air Mobility Command to fly people to and from various places. I remember when I was stationed in Iceland, we flew on those, and you get on these planes that like had weird tail art that you'd never seen anywhere before. They were just like a commercial airliner. However, they were contracted, and all this airline did was fly military people to and from uh, you know, Iceland. In this case, it was called the Rotator, as it is in many places. It would come in every 
every Saturday. And one of the jobs of uh, the Naval Media Center there where I worked was to update people on Saturdays on whether the rotator would be on time, late, or arrive at all because we had a lot of weather issues up in Iceland, uh, middle of the North Atlantic and all that stuff. The thing is, they don't use Patriot Express everywhere. They don't use it in Guam at all. So there are no Patriot Express uh, flights going in and out of Guam. So people were hoping, hey, maybe the military can ship them. Or we can fly people not using United, but using the military's contracted airline. That is not an option. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's a pain. It's a temporary pain. I think the biggest issue is for people that are PCSing and, uh, and we're expecting to ship their animals. Now they can't. And what do you do? You got to find someplace to keep it. Is the military going to assist them in finding someplace to keep it? Guam is not it's not a big place. I don't know of any big like dog boarding facilities on Guam at all. And I certainly don't know of any on the military base. So asking a friend to watch your dog would seem to be the most likely uh, possibility. But really, who knows what's going to happen with that? All we do know is that it's supposed to be temporary. Well, segment one of the morning briefing is about to come to a close. In segment two, Marine Corps veteran Joe Chinelli will be leaving us, and AMVETS National Executive Director Joe Chinelli will be joining us. He also happens to be a Marine Corps we, veteran, too. Yeah, but we can't have those two guys in the same room. They no. will butt heads, and there will be bad juju. It's like, uh, you know, fighting. and matter and antimatter if it comes into touch with itself. Exactly. With the world. Annihilation. So, yeah, if regular Joe is in here with Executive Director Joe, that the world comes to an end, essentially. So we're going to have to kick him out. And welcome in AMVETS National Director. We're going to talk about a variety of topics, including the Omnibus National Desert Storm Memorial and more. That's coming up with Joe Chinelli, who will be joining us in our next segment here on The Morning Briefing. And hey, go check us out on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Joe Chinelli coming up. And later, Matt Sainson comes in to talk about that medical marijuana. Morning Briefing, back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing, Thursday, March 22nd, 2018 edition. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes, your producer on the other side of the glass, keeping us on the rails. And ConnectingBets.com, well, that's your website. And we mean that. Created by veterans for veterans and focusing solely on the veteran experience, ConnectingVets.com is your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related. You need help addressing an issue, getting your DD-214 updated, or trying to get your discharge upgraded? We have information that can help you with that. Looking for a job? Looking for the right career for you as you prepare to leave or after you've left the military? Well, of course, we've got that, too. We've also got features on some veterans who are doing amazing things out there in business and advocacy and so on. And you can find it all at ConnectingVets.com or by following us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. A little click of your mouse, tap on your phone, and you will be living your best veteran life. Our next guest is actually a member of that very ConnectingVets.com team that I was just speaking about. He served in the United States Army, deployed to Iraq twice, and now covers a variety of issues for ConnectingVets.com, but has been working on a series of stories, essentially, 
delving into the issue of marijuana as it relates to veterans, specifically as a possibility for treatment for PTSD, TBI, and so on. He is Matt Sainsing, and he joins us now on the Morning Briefing. Matt, good morning. How are you? Not very well. Yourself, Eric? I'm doing okay. Better than yesterday where I was dealing with snow and rain and an angry five-year-old. So I've got that going for me today. But uh, as I mentioned, you've been working on this kind of series of articles focusing on the issue of marijuana as it relates to veterans, particularly medical marijuana. And it's still a controversial issue. There are uh, a, a majority of veterans, according to every survey that I've seen, support this being used, or at least researched, I should say, uh, as a treatment for PTSD and other issues. But there are still those who are very much against it. And it seems that the government is kind of in between on the two of those. Looking at the articles and the research that you've been doing on this issue, I mean, is there any consensus as to what is going to be done and what's coming down the road, or is there still going to be an argument going forward? So there is still a divide when it comes to AIDS particularly, but last November, the American Legion commissioned a survey, and they found that 90% of all veterans either favor marijuana and cannabis, either straight-up legalization or, re- or the VA researching it, especially into the, its, its medical effects. Uh, and so what we looked at was, okay, we know veterans vastly support marijuana, legalization of research, but, but what we don't know is which veterans or what veterans can do to help move the policy. So we talked to a few people, and we actually found that states are actually at the forefront of uh, marijuana policy, and the federal government is just basically lacking behind, almost pulling up a stone wall. As a matter of fact, we talked to Justin uh, Striegel, who is the political director for the uh, for Normal, which is the biggest marijuana lobbying organization in Washington, D.C., uh, and he said the president of the United States is empowered today to, to legalize marijuana if he wants to. Uh, however, that hasn't been done yet, and so with uh, much of the progress being done at the state level, uh, we actually tried to talk to a few people in these states to try to figure out what is being done with cannabis in these states. One of the things that I've noticed and that I've, I've seen is that you know more of the VSOs coming out in support of at least the research of it, as you mentioned, that American Legion study that they commissioned and showing that over 90% of veterans are for legalization in one form or another, particularly when it comes to the medical use. One question that I have for you is the civilian, the non-military and veteran organizations, organizations like Normal and other groups that that work for the legalization of marijuana and advocate for the use of marijuana and hemp in various ways, shapes, and forms. Have any of them gotten involved in the discussion as it relates to veterans and the VA, or are they busy enough with their own thing, basically, that they don't seem to have time to do that? Um, with the major marijuana organizations such as Normal, such as the Marijuana Policy Project, they do have uh, veteran-centric initiatives in their programs. However, it's veterans themselves in states such as Indiana with a nonprofit group, Hoosier Veterans for Medical Cannabis. They're really going to the state house in Indianapolis and trying to push uh, trying to push legislation at the state level. And that's what we talked to. We talked to grassroots individuals. We talked to Jeff Staker, who's a former Marine, uh, who's now the uh, head of the Hoosier Veterans for Medical Cannabis, as well as Representative Jim Lucas, who is the representative of Indiana's uh, House District states, uh, District 69 in Indiana State House. Uh, he's a former Marine, and he is 100% pro-marijuana to the tune where he actually introduced a medical marijuana bill in Indiana. It didn't pass, but they are going to study it this summer with hopes that they can get it passed in 2019. 
I know that there are a lot of people who are working on this and they seem to be optimistic. How much do you share in their optimism of, of getting something uh, changed when it comes to either the research or the legalization of the use for treating PTSD for veterans and having the VA uh, get involved in it? Again, I know a lot of advocates, they're very optimistic. They think it's, it's coming sooner rather than later. You looking at it from your perspective, uh, do you agree with them or do you think that they may be overly optimistic at this point? at the state level. The federal level is still another, it's, it's a wild card. We're going to have a midterm election in 20, uh, later this year. Uh, we're we're going to see if there's any changes. We're going to see if any personalities that are uh, holding up progress on Capitol Hill change. Uh, and we're going to see where the chips lie there. Uh, as far as the VA, they appear to be inching towards marijuana policy extremely slowly. For example, in, November, excuse me, in December, they uh, had a new directive that said, VA physicians could at least discuss uh, marijuana use with uh, VA patients. They couldn't prescribe or recommend it, but at least the conversation is starting. So we're seeing a little bit of movement uh, federally in federal agencies, but as long as Congress still has a moratorium uh, on marijuana, it being a Schedule One drug, there's not a whole lot that can be done. We're speaking with ConnectingVets.com's Matt Sainsing about the research that he's been doing into the issue of medical marijuana and the VA and the veteran community. You know, Matt, one of the things that uh, I think is certainly in the positive for marijuana, uh, in most people's opinion, is the fact that there is this opioid crisis going on where we have people dying every day from overdoses, either intentional or otherwise, on opioids. I don't believe there's ever been a marijuana overdose death, and some people believe that it could be one of the replacements for opioids to at least uh, reduce the number of opioids that are prescribed. How important do you think the opioid crisis as uh, a more dangerous drug essentially is going to factor into any future decisions that are made on medical marijuana by the VA? It is huge. And the opioid crisis is not only big in this country, but it's particularly big for the veteran community. That's because veterans are twice as likely to die from an accidental overdose than non-veterans in the country. I'm going to say that again. Veterans, just, just because they're veterans, are twice as likely to die from an accidental overdose uh, than non-veterans. Uh, and so when you, t- when you put that in perspective with the rest of the country, it paints a very stark picture. But there's, uh, there's 29 states plus the District of Columbia that have uh, medical marijuana laws on the books. Uh, and nationally speaking, states that do have medical marijuana programs saw an average decrease of opioid deaths of 25%. And that translates over to hundreds of lives each year per state. Uh, and the research is coming out of that is supportive saying that if you're those that are on opioids uh, and then they then enroll in a state marijuana program over the, over the course of six months, they will slowly choose marijuana over the opioids and basically wean themselves off. Uh, I've talked to several, several veterans myself who say they've been on opioids for eight, nine, sometimes 10 years. Uh, and within the course of a few months being enrolled in a state medical marijuana program, they completely get themselves off of these deadly opioids. That is a big issue, and it's one that I think, you know, there are those people who talk about marijuana as a gateway drug, quote-unquote, or a slippery slope, but when we're prescribing what's essentially a synthetic heroin to people via opioids, I, marijuana would seem to be, uh, to most people, and the, and the studies have borne this out, the surveys have borne this out, seems to be a better option, uh, certainly, for uh, helping save people's lives, or at least keeping them from overdosing, because again, you cannot kill yourself 
yourself by overdosing on marijuana, opioids, uh, certainly a different story. Matt, as you've spent the last several months working on these stories, what's been the biggest surprise to you? What's been the biggest thing that you've you've come up on that you weren't expecting when you started looking into the issue? I think for me is how widespread this issue is in the veteran community. Uh, you know, like I said, I talked to these Hoosier veterans for medical cannabis. These are homegrown Indiana boys. Uh, and, you know, you talk to them and I ask them, when do when did you change, uh, or or how did this how how did this your issue has this issue evolve in your head? And they all say we come out of where they the just say no generation. We were told marijuana is bad; it's a gateway drug. But as we as they started to learn the truth about it, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, you, you yourself said uh, marijuana. You can't overdose from it. As a matter of fact, if you go to DEA.gov and look at the classification of drugs, uh, they themselves, the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, admits that no one has overdosed on marijuana. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of insane that it's still classified as a dangerous thing, uh, even though the DEA and government says it, it, it really isn't. But I think um, how widespread this issue is and how people are moving over once they see they might, these veterans might not be marijuana users themselves, but they see their buddies that are weaned off opioids, and they say, look, it works for them, it takes his nightmares away, how could I say no? You know, you say no one's ever overdosed, but I've seen the movie Reefer Madness, and there was that guy who jumped out of the window after smoking a joint, so it certainly could be dangerous, at least based on uh, what Hollywood presented back in the 1930s uh, when there was a big outcry against marijuana back then. We're speaking to ConnectingVets.com reporter Matt Sainsing about his work looking into the issue of medical marijuana, and you know, Matt, one of the things that I think people uh, worry about, those who are against this, is that everybody will just be walking around high and they'll be affected by it and they'll just be kind of, you know, potheads wandering around. There are actual ways that marijuana can be used, particularly with things like cannabis oils, CBD oils, where it doesn't have the psychoactive effects that marijuana, smoking marijuana can have. How big of a, a part do you think that might play in any movement forward on uh, the, the issue of addressing the 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 problems like PTSD, that's what we want to do. The getting high from smoking marijuana, that may be a side aspect of it. But when it comes to like cannabis oil, that's not even a side aspect of it. How important do you think it is for people to focus on that and for people to realize that not every marijuana related treatment involves everyone getting baked? Well, first of all, when you talk to these veterans who are using it therapeutically and not recreationally, the first thing they say is, is I don't use it to get high. They are very adamant to say, it's not a teaching show movie. I'm just trying to take the nightmares away. So they are not using it recreationally. It's not a social thing for them. They're not sitting around with their friends on the couch. They're smoking it so they can leave the house. They're smoking it so they can go to sleep. They're smoking it so they can get off these combat cocktails. And that's something that a lot of, a lot of, a lot of these veterans stress. Second of all, you brought up CBD, which is a sensor for cannabinoid oil. And what CBD is, is almost a marijuana byproduct of the plant, but it's not psychoactive, meaning it doesn't have the THC and it doesn't get users high. So, and it's interesting you brought up CBD oil because to bring it back to Indiana just last year, uh, CBD oil was on the shelves, but there was so much misinformation in the state that they said, oh my God, there's, a, there's marijuana products on the shelves here. We, we, have to take, we have to take these products off the shelves. So the state went around all these retail stores here in Indiana and started pulling them from the shelf. They didn't arrest anyone, but they said this is a marijuana product. We don't want anyone to get high. And, of course, marijuana advocates and those who use it are like, you can't get high from this. So uh, it plays into the misinformation a lot. Um, 
important. And CBD oil, I know it can be used again. Talk, you should talk to a doctor, or medical professional about using it. But I know veterans use it for anxiety. They use it for joint pain. A myriad of of issues that comes with uh, their service. Looking at this issue on the grand scope, the large scale, of course, there's the issues taking place at the state level, as we've been talking about Indiana a lot today, which I didn't even realize how much was going on over there. Uh, Illinois, there was a recent vote in Chicago to legalize marijuana, kind of. uh, You reported on that as well. Um, How can veterans go about making their voice heard if they want to see change in regards to the laws regarding marijuana on the state and local level or on the national level? How can they get involved and how are people getting involved in it? I talk to people at the Marijuana Policy Project and the grassroots organizations around the country. The number one thing you can do is actually organize. Find a group, find a veteran group that is uh, advocating for marijuana. Uh, In states, often this is the, the American Legion the VFW and vets in some states that are making this an an issue, get involved, talk to other like-minded veterans and see what you can do. That's number one. Number two is at the state level, oftentimes it's much easier, it's much much easier to get a uh, meeting with a state Senator than is with a U.S. Senator. Oftentimes these are people in your communities. You could definitely email and call your state representative and say, Hey, I, you're my representative. I, this is an issue that's important to me. Will you advocate for legalizing marijuana in the state and see what happens? And over time, that is actually how things get done in this democracy at the state and federal level. There's just a lot of people who are sitting at home with their head in the sand and are basically kind of apathetic on this. But I, I really think getting your voices heard, organize, start a group uh, can definitely pay dividends as it is playing dividends. In surprising Indiana, which, you know, I, I didn't even know that that was a state that was trying to legalize uh, uh, medical marijuana that they are, but they are, and they're actually hoping they can do it next year. And if you would have told me that Indiana would be uh, at the forefront lines of marijuana policy and, and progress in this country, I definitely wouldn't have, you know, I would have asked you what you were smoking. And it would have been a valid question. Of course, we've seen a lot of movement on this. And as movement continues going forward, our own Matt Sainsing will be reporting on it for ConnectingVets.com. And Matt, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning and giving us some more information on the issue as it relates to medical marijuana and the VA and the veteran community. If people want to find your stories on that, want to find more about it, where on ConnectingVets.com can they go to do that? Well, there is a marijuana drop-down menu on Connecting Vets. You can also follow me on Twitter. I post all my stories there. It's at Matt B. Saintsing. There you go. Matt Saintsing, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your morning before coming in here. All right, will do. All right. You're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Entercom's ConnectingVets.com, Connecting Vets every day. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And, well, we've only got a few minutes left in the show, but already a good one. Of course, our thanks to Joe Chanelli, Executive Director of AMVETS and Marine Corps veteran, for, uh, you know, for doing uh, a great job of coming in here and talking about all the things that they're doing and hearing about the Congress specifically the House of Representatives, and even more specifically, the Democrats in the House of Reps, essentially blocking the veterans aspects of the omnibus. Very disappointing, Jake, to hear that and to to hear that it seems so clearly to be a political issue where they just don't want anything that the, uh, the current administration could take any credit for to go through. That seems to be the main reason for them saying no to this stuff. Yeah, it's really sad when you see things like this, like partisan politics get in the way of what is usually a bipartisan issue. Yeah. Like, I mean... I don't think any politician is going to stand up and say, I am against veteran issues. 
So what they're doing is they're playing. They're once again taking veterans and playing us like a political football. Yeah, and it's uh, you know there there's there is the. Oh, the the political climate where everybody is just trying to make sure that nobody else looks good, and particularly the current administration and the president. Why is he screaming in the studio next to us? I have no us? idea. I he's, think he, I think he's live tweeting on Facebook or he something. Is, he is so loud over there. I don't know if the microphones picked that up, but I certainly can. Um, there is the the issue, particularly I think, particularly with the Democrats, where they don't want anything that President Trump could take any credit for to get through. Anything that goes through uh, that's positive. For him, even if it is a good thing generally, and even if it's something that fairly recently they've been advocating for, if it goes through and he's the one who got it done, then all of a sudden it's the worst thing in the world. Have you noticed that trend? I have, and you saw this even in the um uh at the State of the Union address when you say that like the Congressional Black Caucus didn't stand up for when Trump touted that black unemployment is down to like historic low levels. Yeah. I mean, things like this. And again, I I do my best to remain apolitical. I have my beliefs, but I try not to express them too much in my work, but I usually end up doing it anyway because I'm bad at it. <laughs> but not at my job, but bad at containing my politics. Right. I'm, I'm excellent at my job. Thank you very much. But uh, I really got to say that the Democrats have been, like you said, doing everything they can to discredit this president and to make him look bad. And there's plenty of things you could you could. Uh, criticize this president on. Yep. There are things you could compliment this president on. I mean, there is there, there's no such thing as black and white in politics. There's always that area of gray. But usually veterans' issues are above these types of things. That's the one time when people will say, okay, let's go ahead and come together on this issue for our veterans. So to see this, it's really disheartening. And it leads me to believe, well, I don't want to say they don't care about us, but they don't care about us as much as they do making the president look bad. Yeah, and they think that supersedes everything. I mean, that that appears to be the case. And when they give uh, explanations that, as Joe was telling us about, just don't seem to hold much water when you're talking about, well, there's no funding for this program. Yeah, well, if the program doesn't exist, you're not going to approve funding for it. You're not going to earmark $7 billion or something, for example, just a random number I pulled up. If if you want to create the pro, you create the program first and then you find the funding. And if you can't find the funding, then the programs don't go into effect. But to say, well, there's no funding for it. It's not the way that it works. You don't come up with the funding and then put the program into place because what happens if that program or those programs don't ever get created? Then you've got this money set aside for what? For nothing. It just sits there and it gets wasted or it gets used in play in ways that it's not supposed to have been used. Yeah. Um, barrel spending and all that. Yeah. It's uh, it's 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 just it's ridiculous. And it's, I'm I'm tired of politics in general have been for a long time. I think a lot of people were. I think that's a, a big part of uh, how things played out in the uh, 2016 election was because of people being tired of politics as usual. And this seems to be more politics as usual. And I think it it, it does play to the fact that, you know, the, the Democrats in the Senate, they were fine with it. They were like, yeah, let's get this through. Republicans in the Senate, Republicans in the House. And then it's the Democrats in the House where you have a wider range of ideologies. I mean, you have Democrats in the House who are, are essentially socialists, are, are little more than communists, and yeah, things like way that. Left way, 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 way left leaning. Who are uh, you know very much against uh, not just the president, but against uh, the, the Republicans in general. And and there are those people elected to office who don't care that much for veterans. There are. 
They can say, I think every politician has to at least pay lip service to veterans. But how many of the people who are who are willing to do something like this to block this kind of spending that would help veterans, that would help caregivers from pre 9-11 families, people like, uh, you know, the, the Corneens who we've had in yeah, studio, right. you know, who who would block those if they really care that much about veterans You're and right. believe that much in veteran causes? And the more I think about it, the more I realize it kind of makes sense because you got to realize the in general politicians are usually fall on the older side. So they may have been raised around the Vietnam era when there was this big public backlash against troops, not against them. Like these days you have people who say, well, I'm for the troops, but I'm against the mission, whatever the heck that means. Yeah. But back then everyone was just saying it's the military that's wrong. You know, they're baby killers. There are all yeah. these other expletives that I can't say on radio. Well, and a lot of them nowadays say like, well, it was never about the, uh, the soldiers, the Marines, the sailors, the airmen. Yeah, it was. And you said it was back then. Now you've changed your stance a little bit. You've gotten older. You may have reconsidered a lot of things that you've said. I know there are a lot of people who were uh, part of that movement who, who are very uh, regretful over the way that they treated the troops, but that sort of ideology, it still stands in a lot of places. And I think, uh, people are particularly Gregory Yeah. I mean, here, there's a great example. You think he's the only person out there? You think he's the only teacher? You think he's the only teacher in his school district or even in his own school who feels that way? I don't. I don't. I had a friend who was a teacher in uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, at a place where I would go and play in a poker league. It was a sports bar. I'd go and watch football games there. She was a teacher in Jacksonville, Florida, and she one day was talking about basically uh, the stupidity and ignorance of uh, the, the troops, of the military. And I, I looked at her and said, like, you are saying this to someone and I'm sitting right next to you and you know who I am and what I do. She said, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the enlisted and I looked at her and I was like, what do you think I am? She's like, you're an officer. I said, no, no, no. I'm a petty officer. That's an enlisted rank. I'm an E6. I am enlisted. So boy, you really think that is, I mean, she was speaking in general terms of how dumb and ignorant and stupid people in the military were and how they didn't know any better. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was like, I saw that from someone who knew me and who also played, played poker with a group of veterans. There were like seven or eight of us that regularly played there who, who were considered her friends at that point to this day. I haven't talked to her in years, but that, that kind of changed our relationship from that point and it was uh it was shocking to me but at the same time then when i thought about it i was like eh, maybe it's not so shocking yeah there are a lot of people out there who feel that way and will cover it up by saying you know oh thank you for your service oh i support the military i just you know i i support the uh, the troops i just don't agree with what the military does well you know most of those troops most not all most believe in the mission yeah. believe in what they're doing uh there are those who don't of course we've talked to them on this show they are out there but uh in general i think there are, there there is still I think a larger segment than people will admit of the population who doesn't care too much for the military and what it stands for. They think that the world isn't, uh, isn't that big of a threat that really we're the creating that threat by existing and being the most powerful military in the world. And, and veterans, our, our job is to protect people from their own ignorance. Yeah. And veterans who, who speak up and say like, Hey, you know, the military is doing some amazing things out there, even in places that you don't think we should be like Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever. Uh, there are those who will always just see the military as the bad guys. They will see the powerful as the bad. And it's just 
how they feel and uh you know i don't i don't know how much has changed since the vietnam era <laughs> i think it's just presented in a different way it's just gone quiet and this issue again i think you're seeing uh the farther reaches of politics uh, making their feelings known you've been listening to the morning briefing thursday edition we'll be back tomorrow with rudy reyes among others have a great day baseball is in full swing nba playoffs are heating up and your nfl team is gearing up for training camp listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the odyssey app the biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app 